G'day everyone and welcome to Life in the Peloton. I'm Mitch Docker and I've got a cracking episode for you this week. I spoke about her last week, Lael Wilcox. Now you may have not have heard of Lael in the pro cycling scene because she's involved in ultra distance cycling. And I'm talking about bikepacking, but actually racing. What is an ultra distance cycling event? We're going to talk about that in the podcast. It's a self-supported event over long distances, anywhere from 300 kilometers right through to thousands of kilometers. There's events like the Tour de Divide, the Trans America. You've also got stuff over in Europe as well. Here in Australia, there's things like Race to the Rock. These are crazy events. And I think it's so appropriate that we're talking about this because as you're listening to this, I will be just completing my ultra distance sort of tour event that I made myself really. I'm riding from my house in Lansfield all the way up to Wollongong and onto Sydney and I should be rolling into Sydney right now as you listen to this episode. Hopefully things have gone to plan. A little bit about Lael, she grew up in Alaska. She graduated from university in 2008 with degrees in natural science and French literature and at age 20, her boyfriend of the time, Nicholas Carmen, and her decided to tour the world by bike. She's since now married Rue Kaladite, a photojournalist and filmmaker who has documented many of Lyle's adventures. And in doing some research about Lyle, I went and watched some of them. You've got to go and check them out. Now, ultra-distance cycling is just another beast that we don't know about unless you've gone out there and done it yourself. And Lyle is the queen of them. She's mastered that. I really had a great time talking to her and actually picking her brain because it was on the eve of my trip and I got some ideas about what it takes mentally, but also the little tidbits you can take out of it, how to pack, how to prepare for it as well, because it is really, like I said, a different beast. And guys, the best thing about this too is Lael is using Rafa just like me, but she's using it in a different way. And I was actually really interested to see how someone who does these day-to-day, back-to-back events finds wearing Rafa kit. I love working with these guys. I've been um, with them for, this will be the third year coming up. First made this change mostly for storytelling. Um, They said, we we would love to share your stories. We can change your setup. It used to be that my wife rooted every part of the videos and now it's she can shoot, pass off the footage. Um, And they do such a great job with that. And they told me they want cycling to be the most popular sport in the world. I thought that's so cool because, you know, it's like I love riding my bike. I love riding just to get across town. I love racing. I love every aspect of it. And I do think any time you spend on a bike is is never wasted. And I want more people to to try that, that feeling. It's so good. So I said, yeah, let's let's do it. I think Graf is one of the only cycling brands that makes a down jacket, which I always bring with me. That's something that I need for bikepacking. Um, but now they've kind of transitioned the whole Explore line to focus on bikepacking. Which, first of all, I was like, you guys actually care about bikepacking? This is great. I mean, you could use almost anything, but uh, there are some like pieces of clothing that work better. You know, I have these Explore over shorts, no padding, perfect length, easy to ride in. I wore a pair for the Arizona Trail time trial I did in April uh, for nine days in a row, and they worked great. They didn't even stretch out. Best shorts I've ever had. I'm mixing between pro stuff, explore mountain bike line um just finding what works best well as you know this podcast is being brought to you this year by our proud partner rafa and i found it so interesting how broad the spectrum of cycling can be and how well rafa is covering it whether it's road cycling right up at the world tour down to mountain biking when you wear that trail wear to ultra distance riding as well as we heard from lyle just then 
Well, we're on the eve of the World Championships, guys. I am going to be doing some alternate commentary for Rafa there for Life in the Peloton. Stay tuned on the socials, and I'm going to post up how you can hear the alternate commentary with Dan Jones and myself commentating the World Road Cycling Championships. It's going to be the first for me. It's going to be a bit of fun. It's going to be a little bit different, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to that as you're watching the race. Flick over to us and listen to us commentate. Well, have a stab at commentating the race. It's not going to be like a podcast, or maybe it could be something in between commentary and a podcast. I don't know. Like I said, it's going to be funny because we're not going to get it all right the first time, and I hope you guys can have a laugh listening to it. Well, guys, sit back and really enjoy this one because I love talking to Lyle. We were speaking online, but it felt like I was in the same room with her. She was a fantastic guest on the podcast, and I would love to catch up with her in person one time too. So, guys, without further ado, I bring you Lyle. Enjoy. Here we are, everyone, life in the peloton, but this time we're not adventuring into the world to a peloton. We're adventuring into a very different peloton. This is the ultra the ultra scene. Um, I'm speaking to one of the best out there, if not the best, Lael Wilcox. Welcome to the podcast, Lael. Thanks for having me here. Great to talk with you. It's great to have you on. Look, I was just telling you before we started recording, something, an area I'm moving into and became a bit more aware of you probably the last three years and then just started following your story a little bit more and actually just getting blown away by your, um, I think your mental strength, really, your ability to sort of take on these challenges and, and the fun that you have with it. So that's what I really want to talk to you today about these challenges and let everyone understand what we just said, getting people to fall in love with cycling and sort of getting in love with what we do. Um, not exactly I'm comparing myself to you, but do these crazy things on bikes. Um, so I wanted to talk to you first of all, let's, we got to do this always. Let's go back to the beginning. How did it all start? You know, why bikes? Yeah. You know, and why more specifically ultras? I mean, I didn't, I learned how to ride a bike as a kid, but I never, I, I grew up in Alaska uh, where it's snowy. It was for at least seven months out of the year and we'd ride bikes in the summer, but it was never a sport. It's like something you do around your neighborhood um, and that's about it. Uh, but I came back mm. into it when I was studying at university to, I got a job at a brewery and I had to get to work. So I started borrowing mm. bikes to ride to work because it was 6K away and I couldn't walk there. I've never owned a car. And so I was riding out of necessity and I didn't like it. I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> I had to ride up a huge hill to come home. And I was like, why would anybody do this? Um, but it, 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 <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I think at that time about 20. Um, right. It quickly clicked you so know, not- that it was like, this is so much better than walking. It's so much faster. You know, otherwise I'd be walking for hours or I could ride my bike for like 20 minutes. So I started riding all over town and um, it became like my first vehicle. And I was about to say, at 20 years old, it's probably not ultra cool, um, you know, rocking up at the parties and stuff. And then you were just like, you know what, actually, this is an easy way to get around. I can park exactly where I need to park. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was like, it was actually like cool though. So my first bike that I yeah, right. bought that was, uh, I bought not something I was borrowing was fixed gear. And I was like, right. <laughs> because I think it was like the least expensive bike. 
Um, and I thought it was like the nicest bike in the world. I was like, oh my God, this is a new bike. It was probably the wrong size. I rode it until one of the crank arms fell off. I thought it was the best. And you were doing it proper fixed, you know, re- you know, no brakes, using the, the reverse pedal to brake. And yeah, and it's horrible. That style or was it... <laughs> You didn't want to get into the Red Hook stuff then, did you? Never. Of course not. You know, it was. I was just like, well, that's how this bike's set up. So that's what I have. You know, that's what I have to use. Uh, and so that was the first bike I ever like rode distance on um, was a fixed gear. Right. I didn't know any different. But yeah. Yeah. And then I quickly changed. So I, I rode like my first long ride was like 80K riding to get to my sister's apartment um because i didn't have money for bus fare i didn't know if i could make it this was before like on the phone so i printed out like a stack of directions and just went turn by turn and then that's actually when i i realized this is really really cool it's like and that was the when i got the idea like well if i could ride to see my sister in the next city i could race across the not race across the country i could ride across the country i never thought about racing but like i just thought i could travel on my bike and this is really inexpensive. I just need to buy food. And if I have a tent, it'll all be fine. So that was kind of when things changed. That's a massive leap. That is a seriously massive leap. 80 kilometers to cross the country. And we're talking about the United States here. We're not talking about, I don't know, Belgium. Um, you know, it, it's it's a mean feat. You know, like, but let's, let's, before we go into that, we've got to talk about ultra distance racing, ultra distance cycling. You just touched on it, whether it's a race or whether it's an event. Let's just actually break it down and explain what that is because, you know, I've only sort of, well, I think I know what it is, but I don't really know what it is. So, everyone out there maybe is wondering it too. Because from what I understand, you can do it self-supported. You can do it supported. They're long distance, anywhere from sort of what, 300 kilometers long over can be starting it there and then up to 10,000 kilometers or whatever it is. And the clock never stops from start to finish, does it? Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's basically, so if we just talk basically about like a bike packing race is everybody starts together. Mm. There's a set track. Uh, Once you start, you can't get any um, assistance. So you can use anything along the way that's open to the public. So shops, hotels, um, anything you find along the way, but you can't prearrange like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to eat there. You have to do everything in person. And then um, whoever gets to the finish first wins. And these are like rides that usually take like, you know, at least five days could take two weeks. So along the way you have to find food, water, you have to fix your bike. You have to find places to sleep. You decide when and where you do all of that. So that's, uh, that's the game of it. There is supported ultra distance races is there does that exist yes it does what's the difference there um like the first one i ever heard of was race across america so with that there's a set track also um and then you need like two support vans um like a medic you have all these required uh people that are on your team and so they kind of take care of you while you're out there and that's also just a race against the clock uh but with more people involved i guess have you ever done one or has that ever interested you? I, actually, my first bike race was supported. It was a race um, in Alaska called the Fireweed 400. So 400 miles, a bit over 600K. And it was the summer in, I think, 2014. And I'd been borrowing my mom's road bike all summer on my days off of work, riding as far as I could. And so my friend was like, you should do this race. And I was like, 400 miles in a day? I don't think I can even do 
finish. But they had, and then I was like, oh, that, well, maybe I'll try. And then I found out you have to have like a support vehicle. So my friend was like, well, I'll just drive my Jeep. Um, But I mean, it was so funny because it's like, I'd never ridden with anybody helping me. So then she's like standing on the side of the road because they have to like stop to give you stuff. They couldn't pass it out the car. And she's like at the bottom of a hill with a water bottle. And I like hit the brake Coming down. To, to stop and take it. And she's like, you could just grab it and keep going. <laughs> what? <laughs> like I'd never done She was like trying to give me like a little Snickers bar. And so then I come towards her. She's holding out in her hand like this is going to work. And then it's, when I got close, she threw it in the air. Like I was just going to catch it. I mean, this was a total disaster. But yeah, that was my first race was supported and I've never done one again. That was it. You know, that, that's that's actually not far off. You know, sometimes in, when we're racing overseas, you get people who are new at the game and they'll, they'll throw bottles into the bunch. Really? You know? So it's, look, it's... <laughs> Your friend is not she, – she had a good – it does exist. So, it's not just, you know, first-timers. That does exist. You get funny feet. So, oh, my gosh. Well, tell me about your first ultra experience. Like, when did you go and do – I know you spoke about that one, but your real first time that you went, okay, I'm I'm going to try this thing and, you know, you got your head around it. I'm going to do an unsupported ultra. Yeah. So, I had been, like, traveling around the world for seven years after I did that ride to – Seattle, the city. Then, then I was like that. A couple months later, we started riding across the U.S. and then had this kind of pattern of working half the year, riding half the year all over the world. Uh, and I would mm. find like uh, race, bikepacking race routes, and then follow them to tour just to travel at a slower mm. pace. Because I was like, well, if somebody made a route that's good enough for a race and they think it's special, it's probably also good enough for a trip. Uh, and then it was during one of these trips. Mm. I was following a route in Israel and then realized I would still be there when the race happened. So I was like, oh, this is such oh. a cool route. Maybe I'll just check out the race and see how that goes. Uh, and that was in 2015. So the race was called the Holy Land Challenge. It's so cool. It goes from the north all the way like through Jerusalem to the Red Sea. So it's like ancient culture plus like all the modern mm. stuff in Israel. And it was mountain biking. Um, and I had like a hard tail with an, an eight speed. It was really better than the fixed gear, but like a really bad bike. Um, but I'd been traveling with it. And so then I showed up for the start line for that. And the race was like 1400 K and I was like, well, I don't wow. have, I don't know how this is going to go, but, um, you know, I know I can ride that far. I just don't know if I can do it fast. And I just was excited by the idea just to see what I could do. Yeah. And then I show up, I'm the only woman I have like this touring bike and running shoes and, uh, all these guys are like, she's a total joke. Like, are you going to make it through the first day? And then by the end of the did day, you, I was beating all of them. Did you get caught up in the game at the start? Like, I know you've probably got your own strategy now, but in the first ones, were you like, like you said, can I even go fast? So I can imagine myself on the start line going, well, I'm just going to follow the fastest person. Or were you confident enough to just go, no, I better ride my own oh, pace? Oh, I just took off. I was like sprinting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, what I'm, that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> but I mean, it was like, I didn't even care because I'm like, we have days out here. It actually, I mean, some people are always like, oh, well, you know, your best result is if you just really take it easy. But I'm like, that's so boring. You have so much energy and you're so excited and you'll never be fresher. I feel like you should just ride however you want and then deal with it three days later. 
You know, I mean, like at that point, you're not going to be riding as fast. You won't have that opportunity. I, yeah, I just took off and it was so fun. But yeah, I just kept riding through the night. So at this point, like you're starting to get your head around it. Like I'm starting to think now, why do these races? Is it to win races? Is it to break records? You know, like I guess because, you know, we're going to go on. I want to talk about a couple of um, specific ones, you know, that you've got records for and just iconic um, ultras. But what's 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 your idea about them in these early days? Anyway, I'm, I'm sure you've probably got a different opinion now, or maybe not. Was, why why go out and do these races? I mean, it was actually I think I think I've been kind of like I have these when I get this idea, it's like the most urgent thing in the world for me. So then, like I wanted to ride across the country, so that's the next thing I have to do. And then when I was lining up for that race in Israel, I was like, okay, if this goes well, then I want to fly home to Alaska put together a new bike, ride from Alaska down through Canada to Banff, take a week off and then race the Tour Divide, which goes to the Mexican mm. border. So I already had this like idea and I knew it would like the time frame would fit. And then I was like, that's what I need to do next. And then I started looking like at the women's record of the Tour Divide and I'd never raced it, but mm. I toured parts of the route and I knew like it's not technical, it's dirt roads. And at that time, my friend had the record and she, it was, she averaged like 145 miles a day for 19 mm. days, which is a long time to do something. But I was like, I'm averaging that distance on single track. I could definitely do it on dirt road. So I already felt like really confident that I could break the women's record. So that was also one of my goals, but I didn't at that point, I didn't like look at the overall record, which is something that I've like focused on more later realizing like women have such an app or there it's not really like a gender sport. It's like everybody shows up with their mm. skills and then we don't really know how it's going to turn out. So I think like now I'm super excited about that because like it's one of the only sports in the world where men and women can compete against each other like that. That rarely exists. We've got to put Tour Divide in perspective and you can probably tell it a lot more than me because I've only done a little bit of research about it. It's like through the Rocky Mountains, isn't it? You go from the from Canada right down to the Mexican border. It's 2,700 miles, which is about 4,500 K. Um, it's on the Great, Mount, Great Divide mountain bike route. You know, it's self-supported, as we said before. So it's it's epic. It's huge. I've watched a couple of little docos on it just to get my head around it. And I've seen some stuff on you over the years. It's something I'm even scared to even try and start something like that. So when you just like you said, 2015 was the year that you set the new female record. And you just said you did your first ultra in Israel the same year. Yeah, but it seemed like just a obvious progression to me. I was like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And then I think I was so like, I was so stubborn that I did it, but it did not go well. It did not go well. Like I, like I started having serious breathing problems after the first night, every single day I would like wake up, cough a bunch, bunch of stuff up. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm okay. And then progressively throughout the day, it'd get worse and worse where like my lungs were just blocked. I ended up riding myself to the emergency room on day five. And then I got early, early, terrible. It was terrible. And then I'm like in there, like talking like this because I didn't have a voice because I couldn't breathe. And then the guy was like, then this guy, this super nice doctor who's treating me, he's like, well, when does the race start again? (laughs) I was like, it's still going. It's on now. I'm watching the clock while I'm sitting here. You know, I was just like, but he was like, 
well, okay. So he was like very uh, pragmatic. He's like, okay, I'm going to take an x-ray of your lungs and we'll see if you have pneumonia. And if you have pneumonia, then you have to quit. If you don't have pneumonia, yeah. I would recommend you take some time off, but you can continue, you know? And then I didn't have pneumonia. I just had like cloudy lungs, like a 70 or 80 year old. But they're like, well, what? What is? What's that? How'd you knows? even get that in five you know, days? I have no idea. But he gave me like an albuterol <laughs> treatment, um, which felt amazing. They like hook you up to this machine. We're like, <gasps> I could finally oh, breathe. Yeah. And then a, a prescription for an inhaler. And then um, I like felt so good after that. I rode until like three, four in the morning on like one of the hardest passes. And I was just like, yeah. And then the next day I was totally tanked again. <laughs> I was like just, back at like zero. And I was like, what's wrong? But eventually like I did. Just a measly 12 days to go, you know? Yeah, just, yeah, just I know. But like- that was the thing. It was like, I was every day fighting to like go as far as I could. And then eventually like, I would just have to like lie on the side of the road and then try again the next day. And then I started getting healthier. So I, picked up my pace, picked up my mileage, started catching all these. I think I caught like 12 guys and they like knew I was coming mm. for them. <laughs> oh my gosh. They would have freaked them out too. She's coming. She's coming while they're sitting there like <laughs> eating a burger. <laughs> hey. I, ca- I passed them while they were sleeping. Like, oh my God, I was so excited. I get to this little town and I was like, all right, I'm just going to sleep under this tree for two hours. I know they're all staying in hotels and then I'm going to drop them. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> it was so good. But yeah, the thing was, so I, Tell us, I had yeah. all these problems, but I still like during that ride, I ended up breaking the women's record by two days, but I finished right. and then I was like, I flew home to Alaska and I was like, within a week, like if I hadn't gotten so sick, I would have ridden so much faster and I was Mm. obsessed. So then like a week later, I started riding to the start again and then I did the whole thing again. You were tired, Charlotte, were you just fit? You actually just used it as your base to get fit for it. I Yeah, I was like, I know exactly. I like know the route so well because I just wrote it. I know every little store. I know everything. So I was like, this is the best time for me to to go after the record. And so I did. It didn't, didn't was, scare you at all. Obviously, it didn't scare you. You're just like fully motivated for it. Yeah, I was. And then like my mom started crying because she was like, that is because I'd gotten so, so sick. You know, I'd like gone to the emergency mm. room and she's my brother and my mom, I think were both crying. And they're like, she was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And she was so upset and I felt so bad, but I did it anyway. So you got the record, you got the new record, which still stands today, yeah, isn't it? 15 like, hours, um, 15 days, sorry, 10 hours, yeah, 59 yeah. minutes. Is that yeah. right? So then, I mean, I'm happy, yeah. I'm happy I did it, but you know, when you do something like that, you just like kind of carry a bad feeling forever. <laughs> I like disappointed my mom. I had, and then I ended up like all alone having like kind of a depressing ride. I overdid it. I actually wanted to, after that, I like never wanted to ride my bike again. What about, what about <laughs> Trans Am, Tra- Trans America? Oh, yeah. Uh, you've got the record for that too, which I think you got a year later. Um, that is a bit further, 4,400 miles, 7,000 K, um, east to west. Well, you can do it both ways, can't you? Mm-hmm. Is that right? You which way did you do most, it? Both ways, but most people ride west to east because of the prevailing wind. Right. Mm-hmm. And which way did you do west it? West to east. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's 18 days, 10 minutes. And you, the year you did it, you beat both men and women. Yeah, you, no. Like you said, going back to that point, this is something I want to ask you. I want to ask this later on, but I'm going to ask this now is, what do you think this is? What do you think makes women, I think especially, such good ultra-distance athletes? Is it the mentality? Is it the physiology? Because even in running, you see it. Yeah. As women get sort of in this age of 40, they just become these ultimate machines. They just can't be beaten, you know? And like, they just it just suits, is it? What is it? Yeah. Is it the mentality, I reckon? Or is it the physiology? I think it has to be a combination of both, but it's kind of amazing to see because it's so like surprising, you know? Because I think also mm. as women, we've been told you shouldn't push yourself too hard. You shouldn't go too far. And then that's actually the opposite of what we're good at is is pushing ourselves mm. for a super long time. I think part of it is uh, pain tolerance because that's that's a part of this is that there's an insane amount of pain involved. And it's like, how do you respond to that? How bad is it? And then I also have thought it's also like half of it is an eating competition. You know, you have to like yeah, right. consume so much food. And as a woman, you're smaller. You don't need quite as many calories as like a man does. So it's like ah. we're less likely to like have a massive bonk or like lose so much weight. We can't continue. I think that's part of it. And then otherwise, I really, I really don't know. But I do think it's what? like, it's fascinating yeah. because like, yeah, it is. You've also come to this like, oh, this ultra distance, it's the hardest race in the world. And then it's like, that sounds so kind of like macho, like a big strong yeah. man's going to do the best. And then at the end, it's like this like little woman wins, you know? And then, so I'm like, I love these stories. Like I heard one about a woman runner in the UK and she's like, she like set a like an outstanding record. I think maybe six months after giving birth, like oh like stuff like that. You're just, like, how is that? Even just giving their perspective. Possible? She's got the perspective. Yeah. So I think it, I think like that's what keeps me motivated is that it's it's still so surprising that women can accomplish these things because they don't believe it either. They don't even think they have a right to be at the start line. But then when bikepacking, you don't have to qualify for these races. Anybody could show up. So then you're like lining up with all these people with different equipment because we're all like, think we know what's going to be best. Like the Trans Am, I showed up and these guys are on like um, time trial bikes. Right. Yeah. Because it's on the road, the yeah, Trans Am, isn't but I'm it? like a time trial bike for, I mean, I was the fastest in 18 Not days. Imagine riding that for like you know, three weeks. Oh, <laughs> That's not so it. crazy with like one, imagine riding it one on day. It. <laughs> but it's cool. It's like, that's so exciting to see who shows up, what they bring. And then like how it plays out, like from day one, day five, day eight to the end, you know, it's like, you just don't know what's going to happen. I broke my seat post on that race. Like all kinds of stuff happens. One lady, like, Somebody stole her bike on the first day and then she had to go get a new one. And she still just completed. She's only one day behind. And then she, yeah, she, she just got went a new got a new bike, bike and, and yeah. went out and did it. <laughs> what, what about the bikes? Because you spoke about before, like, you know, you started with this just whatever bike, the fixed bike. Then you just got this shonky mountain bike. And probably at the time you didn't really know anything different because it was just a new bike and it felt good. Now you got, I guess, the knowledge and the you would have to you know exactly what you want and you'll go out and get what you want. But over those years, has it taken time to really develop that or you got that knowledge pretty quickly from just hanging out in that crew and realizing, you know what? I worked out after about two days. 
I need to get a way better bike or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Well, I think like some of the bikes, like I think in 2015, I like went home and bought a, the, like the best bike I'd ever thought of. And it was like a, like a nice carbon hardtail. And then that bike is basically exactly the same as it was, you know, 2022, it's still the same bike and it's still just as good. I'm like, this bike is awesome. I'm going to like do a race on this, basically the same bike next week. But then some of the other bikes are like radically changed, like the mountain bikes, for instance. I was like, Mm -hmm. so right after the 2015 Tour Divide, I actually had uh, like Outside Magazine come and ask me to make a video trying to break the record on the Arizona Trail. And I was like... Right. I'll do it, but I need, uh, I need a different bike. Cause I had like ridden part of it and I was like, I need a full suspension bike and I don't have that. And so then they're like, yeah. what full suspension bike do you want? And then I was like, well, how about <laughs> this specialized cross country race bike? You know, cause I didn't know any different. I'm like, that's like the best yeah, that's bike in the world, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then of course it was like the best bike I'd ever ridden, but then I, you know, that took a little more time to realize, oh, like how much suspension do you want? Like what features do you want on a mountain bike? And then those are like changing every year where they're like totally different bikes. So I think, yeah, some of them are changing more than others. And then I always am like, want to try something different. Like I think I know, I like raced like a, an, an, uh, on like an enduro bike once for like five hundred. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be the best super soft just like it's suspension for anyone who doesn't know out there this is a bike that just always has really a lot of suspension it's just like the most comfortable bike to ride in the world but for how long yeah i I like rode it for over 50 hours and then by the end i felt like my arms were gonna fall off from like pushing it so much i was like this bike weighs like i i don't know it weighed like 20 kilos you know i was like well that was a mistake but you think you know and that's also (laughs) kind of like the fun of it is like you think you know it's going to work and then you get like halfway into the, something and you're like, that was a huge mistake. Like, oh, I should have brought a sleeping bag. Now I'm freezing. <laughs> you know, or when I like, oh, lose well. my light and I'm like, oh, and then you don't realize until it's dark. And you're like, oh. <laughs> Probably should have gone back for that. You drop it at the start. You're like, I'm not going to waste five minutes to go back for that light. Yeah, exactly. Oh, whoops, now I've got no light. Yeah, and then you're just toast. <laughs> oh. Now, Lael, you got to tell me about Quadlock because this is something that I've just started to use. Being a pro before, I had no use for it. Well, I didn't think I did because I just had my head unit. I just had my head down. I was racing. Now, I'm just doing a bit more free riding. I'm like, actually, this is great. I've got my phone on my bike when I need it for all different kinds of things. Do you actually use it bikepacking as well? How, how do you use it? Yeah, Quadlock is totally essential for my bikepacking for both just riding but also for racing because i have my phone handy i don't use it for navigation but if i need to find a store or i need to meet somebody or you know there's some kind of like impromptu routing i have then i then i can just plug it in and follow it and then i'm not holding my phone in my hand like in traffic trying to figure out where i'm going and then also for you know if i'm listening to audiobooks i just have it right there there's no better place for your phone it's like ahead of you where you need it and the crazy thing is it's it's never fallen off. You know, even for this Arizona trail where it's like basically a hiking trail, it's totally secure on there. So yeah, I'm still testing it, but it's it's worked all the time. It's awesome. 
What about mechanics? Like out there, you've got to, I don't know how much you, what your mechanical mind's like, but I can imagine I would be a bit nervous myself. Like I sure I know how to keep my bike working, but when you're on the road that long, stuff's got to go wrong. You must know how to do a fair few mechanics. I'm pretty bad. (laughs) I'm not good. (laughs) But I mean, like some things, it's like there's a difference between something not really working to it like not working at all. You know, like you could actually Mm. keep like a bike in pretty bad shape rolling, um, which I generally do. Like there are very few things that are total deal breakers. Like, you know, you can't keep air in your tires or like one time I was, Mm. I have electronic (laughs) shifting and then it just on the side of the road, just unpaired. So then it wasn't working at all. So then it's like bright daylight and I'm like holding my, hands over my eyes, like trying to look for like a flashing light. But it's, I'm usually like, I hope I have cell phone service so I can like look up a YouTube video because I don't know. Yes, there's always something. Yeah. (laughs) And then of course you waste like an hour trying to fix it or you just leave it. Like if you can, I'll just leave it in really bad shape. And then I'm like, I better put some music on because this noise is driving me insane. I wanted to ask you about that too. When you're out there, like, do you listen to stuff? You know, do you, do you, put like a audio book in, do you yeah. listen to a podcast or do you just like listen, do you have both? Do you also like the, the environment as well sometimes, yeah. you know, listen to yeah, nothing? Yeah, I do. Everything. When I started, I didn't listen to anything for like mm. both Tour Divides, the Trans Am. I mean, I can't believe wow. I like just rode with nothing because I just had a flip phone. You know, I didn't have any way to listen yeah. to anything, so I didn't. <laughs> uh, and I was also like so kind of Spartan. I was like – I, that's too much going on. I need to focus on what I'm doing. And now I'm like listening to Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I don't even remember that I'm riding my bike. I'm so into these stories I'm listening to. I love it. Uh, but yeah, of course, I, I end up doing both because there's so many hours to fill. But like, I think through the night, listening to something actually yeah. helps me stay awake. Because that's like another huge part of it is that there's you know, you have to cut sleep, you have to ride in the dark. Um, so listening to stories definitely keeps me up at night, which is good. What's it like riding through the night? Is it scary? Is it lonely? Is it like therapeutic in a way? You know, is you it, it? Is, I don't know. I've, I've only ridden through the night once and I just remember how nice it felt when um, the sun came yeah, up. But I exactly. did enjoy the first part of the night when it was going down because it was exciting. Yeah. But then there became this loneliness of it for me. But on your look, like I said, it was only a, it was only a two day trip, and I decided to go right through the night to test it. Yeah, but I haven't done it then and then again when I'm tired and completely fatigued. That's cool. I think like everybody should try it because it's it's mm. weird. It's kind of a weird feeling because you're also like mentally, you're like everyone else is resting, and then you imagine them at home in their beds, all warm and comfortable. <laughs> We're just out in the dark. But you, I don't Is that know. a good thing though? I think it's still worth trying. I mean, now I don't love it, you know, because the other thing is like you, your speed always slows down in the dark because you can't see as well. Mm. So you can't ride as fast. And so it feels like inefficient. I'm tired, but uh, I do love the sunrise. That's probably the best part. And because you see like every moment of it and you've been waiting for it for so long. Mm. It's nice to ride like in ride through the night in kind of a summer place because it's not as long. Mm. I think like when the nights are like 12 hours long, you're like, oh, 
this is going to be like yeah, a really, really long, long time to be out here in cold. Can you tell me a little bit about the Nevada Divide? Well, I think it's called that, but the the race in Switzerland, like it's it's essentially it's not that long. It's a th- like when you we're talking about those other ones, it's a thousand k, but a really like a lot of climbing. I just watched the doco on it just a f- last week when I was doing some research on you. I was like, oh, what's this little race? It looked like a really tough race, and I love the race between I've forgotten his name now, the guy who won it. The race between you and him yeah. and like he was so nervous about you. He's just like the nickname he gave you, um, what were you called? The Mad Max's wife or something like that, you know? It was <laughs> it was so great. Tell me about this event. Yeah, so that's uh now it's called the Hope One Thousand, Thousand K across Switzerland with thirty thousand meters of climbing. It's a total mm. beast, but it's beautiful. I mean Switzerland there's no other landscape like it, just these rugged Alps, but it's not high elevation. So it's easier to breathe. And then, yeah, I had a friend that uh, puts on this race, actually this guy that hosts a race just wrote me like a one-line email that was like, hey, you might be interested in my little race in Switzerland. (laughs) I I looked at it and I was like, that's a beast. I was like, yeah, I'm interested, but I can't afford to go over there. And he was like, well, how about I buy you a plane ticket? And I was like, oh my God. I felt like I won the lottery. I was like, I get to ride my bike in Switzerland. And it was so cool. Then I show up to this guy's house like a month early. And then he was like, yeah, you can just come live with me. And I was like, oh, and his wife. And then I thought like, maybe I'll spend a day there. And then I basically like ended up living there. Uh, with him and his wife, she makes <laughs> Rue my wife. We were just dating at the time she came and, and we would just have like, you know, family meals with them. Like we had like a Swiss family all of a sudden. Um, so I actually got to like, it really sent me out to just ride the whole route yeah. before the race. He was also like, you could also check and make sure everything's in good shape. So I knew the full force right. before the race <laughs> and I knew how hard it was. But, um, and so then I lined up. Is that a good or a bad thing? Good. It's really good to go okay. ride the route before because then you also know all these little towns, you know where the store is. Like I had in mind, like for the first night, I was like, I'm going to get to this little hiking shelter and sleep there. So I had like a goal, you know, but also mm. it's good for like your overall time. It's faster. It might not be as much fun though, because it's like so much fun to like ride something for the first time. You get so much energy from seeing something new. You're like, wow, I didn't expect that. Uh, But for results, it's definitely better to pre-ride it. What is the preparation like? Um, Because like, do you go out and do like training per se, or do you just more ride? Just ride. Would you train for something? I mean, this was great doing this pre-ride in Switzerland because then Willie like gave me just like a paper (laughs) list of phone numbers of his friends. And then he's like, call this person and stay at their house. (laughs) Just ride to his house. Which I did. And then like half of them didn't even speak English. (laughs) I was just like, he's like, just knock on the door and say the password, Willie Felix. would do and then they're like oh okay Willie Felix and then they'd like bring me in show me my room show me like the dinner table (laughs) we couldn't like even interact (laughs) and you just go on your way the next day or you'd hang out there for a yeah then I would just leave they would be like hand me like a little (laughs) lunch bag (laughs) here's your sandwich (laughs) 
I was like, this is such a weird thing to do, but like Willie has a plan and I'm sure he called them and explained the situation. <laughs> I mean, it was also fun, you know, but and then I would like see them. They'd like come out during the race when I was coming by just to wave. But it's like, like we're old friends, but we've never had like a conversation. <laughs> You had a full fan club that whole trip. That's why you're probably flying through Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was cool. It was oh. so much fun. That was also that video was the first uh, video Rue and I had ever made together. Uh, so that was right. cool. That was like kind of when we transitioned from Rue had worked at newspapers. I was just working at restaurants to pay for this stuff. And then I had a sponsor uh, that was like, hey, if you – uh, I, I pitched to a sponsor, like, we can make this video together. And then so we we changed from, like, just working regular jobs to to making this work, just sharing stories from bikepacking, which was really cool. We did we had no idea what we were doing, though. I mean, like, so we go to Switzerland. The plan is to, like, shoot most of the video before the race. And then on the second day, we're riding with Willie, and Rue broke both of her elbows. She crashed. And then we we're like, oh, oh, I can't even my. hold a camera. What are we going to do? You know, like every, you never, you always have like a great plan and then it <laughs> never works out. But uh, what what did she do? Ultimately, like Willie was like, my friend Evo will drive you in the car during the race. And that's what they did. It takes like uh, maybe four weeks to heal elbows. I mean, she couldn't even like what? hold up like she had like, she had to have like straws in all of her drinks and just like lean over to drink. Like she couldn't. I had to like feed her yogurts. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I don't know. This whole Switzerland trip was just like, what are we doing here? But it was also so much fun. So it worked out. And then we made this really nice video with my brother's music. And then after that, we're like, this is something we could do. We could make videos together. And that was in 2018. Mm. Yeah. So we've been kind of doing that since. What's it like actually doing an event then and when you're getting filmed? Because you're still trying to stay and move and whatever. There's no like, okay, wait, we didn't actually get you on that climb. Can you just flip it around and come back up different angle? We want to put the drone up and all this stuff. There's sort of, you know, you're trying to do your thing, but you also want to do a good video, but it's that hard dynamic. What's it well, like? Well, I'm like, I'm not doing it twice. You know, I like yeah, not no going to like make it e any easier for Rue. Her job's so much harder because she'll get to like a beautiful spot and then she'll wait for like three hours for me to come by. And then it turns out like I stopped to sleep in a field like 5K before I got there. <laughs> you know, like the light goes, there's no light left. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, or like, and then I always hear all the stories afterward about like, you know, when I flew, like rode by and like she was doing something else or and missed it, you know, because that's like so much harder. But that's the thing is like capturing these races, is like getting getting access to every part of the course too is hard because it's like often remote on single track trails. You know, it's like you can't, it's hard to get out there. So but that's Rue's job to figure it out. I'm like, I'm just racing. I'm just going to do what I need to do. What are the people like who do these events, like the crew, you know, because you, you spend a lot of time with them, sort of, and you get to know them because they're almost the same, not always, but at the top end, the same sort of people searching out these obscure events. And of course, you and Rue are creating these documentaries around them. And so you're going to probably talk to them or whatever. What are they even like? Are they friendly people? Is it a good crew? You get to know them after a while. Is it a bit of a weird mix? It's a mix. 
I mean, most people are friendly. Like the good ones are like just excited to be out there and see what happens. But then, of course, they're going to be like more like type A people who are like, I have to maintain consistent power (laughs) for two weeks. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like it's a real mix of people, but a lot of like good, colorful characters because like the stuff that ends up happening is you're just like, oh my god, like the guy that Swiss race the year after the next guy who was winning the race on like kind of the final day, he's descended like a ma- maniac, the whole thing, and then he like crashed, totaled his bike. Mm bought like a commuter bike off of some lady in the town and still won the race you know like stuff like that you're like that's incredible and like it takes some kind of like i don't know mental strength or guts or like desire to like continue on when something like that happens but then at the end you're like that's the best story you know so it's a lot of like really good people and then you know of course some weirdos because who would do this (laughs) this is a sick thing to do you don't sleep for like five days. That's so unhealthy. I was going to ask you that. What is it like afterwards? You know, because what's the recovery process? Like I see, I see what you have to do. You know, it's pushing yourself, no sleep, living on coffee, living on whatever, whatever you can find, Snickers bars, you know, whatever's around. Okay. It's not healthy. We can't say it's a healthy sport. You know, it is in the long run because you are moving all the time, but in the moment, what's the recovery process like? Are you able to just sort of bounce back? Or are you out of it for a while? I mean, this year I kind of pushed it where I was like, I did one race, took a week off, and then did the next race. And I did that like five times in a row. But usually I'm like, wow. there's no way I'm going to recover fast enough. But I was like, well, I'm just going to try. And it worked. But basically I do like almost nothing for a week beyond like traveling to the next event. So I think like a week is pretty good, but you know, for like the first like night after something like this, I'm usually like still in a lot of pain. Like it'll wake me up in the Mm. night, especially this year, like my hands were like so messed up. Um, So that's like even being able to like, it's like you, all you want to do is sleep, but you're in too much pain to sleep. That's pretty bad. But then by like three days later, I feel pretty good and you know, I'm happy to rest a bit, but uh, I haven't done like a super long one, like the tour divide for a couple years fully. Uh, the recovery was the longer the race, the longer the recovery. Um, mm. so these races that take like five, six, seven days, like, oh, that's a sprint. I can do another one a week later. <laughs> no wow. problem. It's all, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like once you've done something bigger, you come back and it feels, think- feels okay. He's, it's, Well, I think your body remembers too. Like physically, you're like, we've been here before. We know how to like repair, refix ourselves and then like move on. You know, it's like, it's not so shocking if you do it consistently. Everything becomes normal. It's a big question. Maybe it's not hardest moment, hardest moment or the hardest moments when you, when you feel it. Maybe there is one where you go, you know what? It's just, I know it. Straight off the top of my head, what's that one where you go, oh, that was the hardest moment I can remember? Man, I feel like every race has some like surprise. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's hardest, like, so there's probably yeah. a lot. Like Tour Divide not breathing, that was terrible. I did this race in France called the French Divide. In the first like 100K, this other racer crashed into me because I think he was nervous and he ruined my rear oh. wheel. 
And then I had, I still have like 2000, like 300 K to go with like a, I ended up like smashing the wheel into the sidewalk to like kind of straighten it, but it was like shaking oh, no. for like the next 10 days, you know? And then I'm in France, it's the weekend, it's through remote country, no bike shops, nothing's open there ever anyway. <laughs> so I couldn't get it fixed. So I just had to ride with like a really like wobbly wheel for the whole race. Stuff like that where you're like, well, just don't let this drive you totally insane. Oh my God, this summer I raced in Spain. It was um, 1,400 kilometers in Catalonia. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Love riding roads there. I like, I hit a huge pothole at two in the morning in a tunnel and like, double flatted and like tore my tires, like completely shredded them. And then I was like on the side and then realized my pump was broken. Like (laughs) it wasn't letting air out. And so then I, I like, I, I had like one CO2. I ended up getting enough pressure in them. So I was like riding like beach balls. (laughs) I was like just bouncing along, like until like I got to a town but then the thing is, like, you're, like, just praying that you'll find, like, a bike shop or something like that. And then when you do, it's, well, something, like, yeah. it's so exciting because I was, like, I'm going to have to, like, either quit this race or hitchhike backwards to find something, you know. And then and then I found a bike shop. I had to wait, like, an hour for it to open. Um, but then they had, like, tires and they could fix everything. I bought a new pump. And I was, like, oh, thank God. This is so much better but it's always something and then you're like you're just you're just cruising along you think everything's going great and then you're like my tires are shredded (laughs) what am i gonna do my pump's broken like everything's going wrong you know like all and i'm like do you feel like such an idiot because you're like i've slept like two hours and like two days and now i can't sleep at all because i'm like madly trying to fix these Stress. shredded tires in the middle of the night in this creepy tunnel. <laughs> it's just, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. It's like, there are so many like good moments, but of course you remember like all these moments where you're like, Oh dear God, what am I going to do? Do you have these meltdowns? Like, Oh, clearly you do. How do you, get, <laughs> how do you keep yourself together? Well, I think, I think I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Just cry about it. <laughs> and then waste an hour crying and then i still have to try to fix it exactly well Well done i try not to worry about like how much time i'm losing like just focus on the problem and try to fix it because also the thing is Mm. you're also like not gonna do the best when you're sleep deprived trying to fix this stuff you know it's like you just Mm try to like make some kind of solution and then move on and not, or like riding, you know, like making wrong turns, missing, like riding the wrong way for 10 K and realizing you just have to turn around and go back. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty bad. But everybody does it, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Like none, not even these parameter robot people do it perfectly. That's the thing you got to keep in the back of your yeah. mind, don't you? You're just like, cool. Yeah. You know, I hate to say that saying, slow and steady wins a race, but you're like, you make these rash decisions to save for like a minute here, a minute there. Right. It's like you end up going the wrong way. Yeah. Or you're like, just like feeling so good, descending so fast and then crash. And then I'm like, oh, mm. I've just really bent my derailleur hanger and now I can't use my easiest gear for the next four days. <laughs> 
that was worth it. <laughs> but it's okay, you know, it happens as long as as long as I can make it to the finish line then I'm happy. You know, my bike's like singing and broken, but it's, you know, I get there. Well, let's talk about what's coming up and like what do you go looking for in these challenges? You know, is it something that you just look for or do organizers come to you? Clearly, you know, with the Swiss one, that's the that's the thing. Yeah. You know, how do you come up with the ideas? You know, what's coming up? This year mostly has been organizers ask me if I'll come do their race uh which is in a lot of new races I'm I love how this sport is like growing and more people internationally are like getting excited about bikepacking and so much positive energy so they like you know somebody will send me an Instagram message like hey would you come do my race in Spain or uh coming up I'll do a race in southern Spain and then um in Chile in November mm. across the Andes something i've wanted to do for a couple of years and so and i've never the only country i've been to in south america is colombia so it'll be fun to go somewhere new um so that's that's been mostly this summer is just uh trying some new events i did a couple of stage races this year that was new for me uh tough too far yeah i was about to say i was like oh this is gonna be too fast so is awesome it? because you get to like race and then stop and eat dinner with everybody and it's going to be this like really warm community thing but i think like really you stop and then you're like i better get my shit together for the next one (laughs) so you can't like you don't have this like laid back feeling ever until it's over you know it's more it's Mm. intense in a different way and it is a lot faster i had to like talk to myself like the entire races to be like keep going, go, go. Like, which usually I'm like in more of a peaceful headspace where I'm just like, Oh, I'm just riding along. Like it was more like dust in my face. all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really different mentality, you know, because I think a lot of people listening to this can probably relate to what you were just saying that, that internal fight against yourself over the climb to hang onto the wheel or to keep pushing harder than you want to. But actually, what you're talking about is to actually get into this different mindset. It's probably why a lot of people, even myself, are thinking, how could you do that for so long? But we're in that different mentality. We're in that, like you said, the the power meter mentality, trying to keep up with whatever level we said, rather than just accepting the and being in a peaceful mindset and go, I've just got to ride. Actually, when you feel good, you're just rolling it faster. And when you don't, you take off a bit of speed and yeah, keep moving. There's something so nice about that. And you spend like, mm. you can't draft. So you're like often kind of alone looking at like the beauty of the world and having all these different thoughts and going through things like there's endless time for it, you know? And then when you do feel good, you're like riding fast and feeling great. And when you, when I feel really bad, I'm just like, well, it won't last forever. Uh, You know, in an hour I'll, I'll feel better. Maybe I can ride a little faster, but yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite, but you know, I, for the stage races, then I got to ride with people which was actually fun. You know, it's like you experience something with somebody else and that was cool. And you're like kind of taking on that challenge and hardship together, which I, I like too. I just haven't done very much. But then I'm like, okay, finish the stage, start eating as soon as possible. <laughs> fix your bike, fix your bike, wash your kit, and then do it again, you know? So it was, it was different. Um, cool experience though. Much more similar to my old world. So, well, is there anything you won't do? Have you thought like, you know what, that's just too much. I'm not going to do that. I don't like that. That's just 
too big, too something. You know, is there anything you won't do? It doesn't seem like it. Sometimes people like are like, hey, you'd love this. Like there's, oh man, what is this? There's like a, a like a sand road across Australia. Uh, um, the Nullarbor, is it? No, oh. it's like like across like. Oh, no, not the Nullarbor. That's the um, yeah, right, trail. right. Across, yeah. Yeah. People are like, you would love that. I'm like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it's like deep sand. There's no water. You have to like tow a trailer with all kinds of stuff. Like riding a fat bike, even without a bunch of stuff on it in like loose sand is really, really hard. Even to go like 5K, 10K an hour, you know? And they're like, oh, this sounds like exactly like what you would want to do. And I'm like... <laughs> No, that sounds no terrible. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you would see like a lot of beauty, beautiful night sky and all this stuff, but like that sounds like not too not much fun for me. But yeah, yeah I mean, you've still got to have fun with it, don't you? Yeah, I, I want to like actually be enjoying what I'm doing um, or any of the stuff that's like, like virtual challenges that like takes the heart out of it for me. I want to be like in the natural world. So, you know, that kind of stuff, I'm not just doing it just for like stats or to be the fastest. Mm. And I did one Everest and I was like, this is weird. Mm. <laughs> you just go Doesn't back and forth me. on the same thing. And I even like did it in a really beautiful place in Alaska, but I was still like, this is sort of like a really weird thing to do. Like I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> Oh, well, look, it's been great chatting to you today. I've actually really loved chatting to you. It feels like we're just sort of in the same room. You've been one of the, one of my only guests who's been able to bridge the internet gap. I know you're, you're over there in Slovenia um, and you're on another little mission at the moment, but it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Yeah, great to talk with you too. I hope to see you at a, a bikepacking race. It'd be cool. I would love to just try and hang on to you or just sort of, drift off and then just know that you're riding past me while I'm sleeping. Great. Well, thanks, Lyle. Well, did you learn something there? Like I said, how could you not like Lael? She was just an amazing person. And it's hard to understand how she can get so nitty and gritty out there and do these ultra events. Such a kind, likable person as she is. She just gets out there, gets it done and enjoys time on the bike. I love talking to her, like I said before. Of course, a massive thanks to our proud partner, Rafa. They've been great helping us put together these episodes this year. Will Jones, who's helping me edit and piece these episodes together. But of course, Lara behind the scenes, as always, helping out too. Guys, like I said, the alternate commentary, it's just around the corner. The World Championships are just a few days away. So look out for us on how to stream that. We're going to post that up so you guys can get the link, tune it into your TV, and listen to some alternate commentary. Well, guys, until then, until next week, I'm Mitch Stocker, and cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.